1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: This podcast is a Royfield brown production. Find others on iTunes.
2: All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by Managers <laughs>
3: This episode is sponsored by Denise Tomlinson, who donated to dum dum so has nominated this charity to be highlighted. To nominate a charity, go to dumdeedum.com, hit the donate button and donate £30 or more. WaterAid. WaterAid started in 1981. They are determined to make clean water, reliable toilets and good hygiene normal for everyone. Throughout the world, 1 in 10 don't have clean water. One in four people don't have a decent toilet. But thanks to people's donations, they've reached 26.4 million people with clean water. That's 26.4 million more healthy and independent people in the world. Please go to www.wateraid.org to support them today.
4: This is Dumb Dum, Dumb, the show about the reality docu-drama that sent centred in Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the person who stares at Fish, who is Royfield Brown. And uh, with me are the clanging apologetic Beers, who is... Kerry Warbis. And the cold steak and kidney pie, who goes by the name of... Peter Fickling. And the last part of this week's collection, folks, is you, Are lovely listeners. Now, this week's Dumpty Dum is from Cincinnati Steve. Well, Cincinnati Steve's 60th birthday, which happened uh, at some point in uh, 2018. Big apologies to uh, the caller in who you will hear later because they sent that to me uh, some basically three years ago. And I completely, utterly forgot to put it on. And they reminded me, and I found it in the inbox lurking in a corner. So there you go, Cincinnati Steve, and all of your pals, you've got your moment in the sun. Now, Kerry, if someone else would like to send us in a dum-de-dum, maybe it's their 60th, could even be their 50th, their 40th, their 30th, the 20th, maybe <laughs> even their 10th birthday, who knows? And they want to corral some pals together well you can't really do that in lockdown can you more oh, crumbs
1: not really you could do it mm. on a zoom or something i suppose couldn't you oh
4: the lag it doesn't work on zoom
1: it oh, doesn't work
4: on zoom because of the lag oh okay mm. right well if somebody <laughs> has maybe got an old recording from a birthday and it maybe was their 50th or the 60th or something or another and i want to send that in um how- do they do that?
1: Well, if you would like to sing us a dumpty dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us on 0203-031-3105, leave us a message on Speakpipe or send us a text message starting with DUM to 0778 6200 690 And thank you to our social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices. And to Lucy B. Freeman
4: On this week's episode here views from Drew, Matthew, Jane, Paul, Cheryl and Drew Horn, Witherspoon and Glynn. But first it's Amber's week that was in Ambridge
5: Hello Dumpty Dum, I'm Amber and on this week in Ambridge (laughs) Helen is utterly baffled by the idea of doing something good for the environment without being paid for it As Kirsty litter picking in her free time leaves Helen utterly dismayed (laughs) Rex takes a leap into V for Vendetta-style class warfare, propelling himself through sheer bitterness alone, and is transformed from pleasant, hard-working young man into festering internet troll before our very ears. Kirsty's clearly had some lessons on how to look suspicious as fuck as she tries to unburden her guilt by tracking down Philip's lads at the local homeless hangouts. I'm sure the police will look at this without the slightest sideways glance. Philip Moss rushed to hospital after scorching burn from Professor Jim Lloyd, who ousts him like the tarted-up pond scum he is. And that was the week in Ambridge.
4: Thank you for that, Amber. As always, a very concise uh, rundown of the goings-on in Borsetshire. But now, it's our Hot Topic of the Week. And this week's Hot Topic of the Week is Brian Aldridge, squire of the village, every man of the moment, the two sides of him. Brian Aldridge, do we love him? Do we hate him? Is he a big pile of poo or is he just about right? Mm. Pete Ficklin. generally you suggest the Hot Topics of the Week, but I believe I'm just pitching the ball to you for you to um,
6: pass it on to our Kerry. So why don't you set the scene on Brian Aldridge this week, sir? Well, it's more about Kerry's deep and profound affection for him. I mean, as as sure as the sun comes up and the moon takes its place at nighttime, Kerry, you know, (laughs) chimes in with her deep, unabiding affection. And I'm just, you know, I feel it must have been rocked this week because he was an absolute shitbag.
4: Well, here's the thing, though. I don't know if that metaphor really stands up, Peter, because the moon doesn't always replace the sun at night time. Sometimes it's a full moon or oh a new God. moon and there isn't a moon Such a yet. pedant. Oh, that's me. That's me. Anyway, sorry, uh, Kerry, mm. uh, you're going to defend Brian Aldridge.
1: Well, I I do adore Brian as a character. As I've mentioned before, I wouldn't want him as a boyfriend, husband, lover, whatever. But I know that we're all we're all referring to him bursting into the shop and saying to Kirstie, um, what was it? He said, oh, hello, half of the gruesome twosome. Uh, and then he laid into her completely about being a hypocrite because she'd drawn his family through the mud and loved every minute of it. So he was doing the same to her in the village shop. For one thing, I didn't think he would have actually done that. And I know he'd been irked by Harrison copping him for a speeding ticket just before that. But I just don't think Brian would have marched in without his mask on. That was quite not funny, but the fact that Jim shouted mask and it had to be Brian who hadn't put his mask on didn't it striding into the shop for goodness knows what well Jennifer's supermarket delivery had only half been delivered hadn't it so it was was an emergency I'm sure at home.
6: It was a bit of a domino rally of kind of annoyance wasn't it you had Harrison all sensitive and beaten up because he was perceived as being a light touch and having you know let the village down with the not you know fingering the uh, mosses Mm. he then takes that out on Brian when he might have you know on a, on another day, being a bit more gentle, Brian then storms into the shop. Now is unable to bite his tongue and forgive, you know, Kirsty. Despite you know, I thought they reconciled quite sort of affectionately a few months ago. Mm. Then, of course, that sort of sets Jim up for his righteous fury later on in the um in the week. It was all sort of it was all happening, wasn't it? It was you could it, the whole week was set up in that one scene.
1: Yeah, I, I know Brian has got his his dreadful side, but it, would he have really said putting up a postcard for more cheap labour? Within a couple of minutes of catching sight of Kirsty, he's
6: normally sort of smoother. He's not, mm. he's not so crass. I just, he, But he, they did have that reconciliation. And I thought mm. that was. A, and, and at least, you know, like, I mean, I, I've had a few problems with my neighbours recently. I mean, um, with um, noise, you know, you, you pick your time to go around and say mm. something, don't you? And it's the same thing with they live next door to each other. You wouldn't just have a slanging match in the, in the village shop.
1: Yeah, you'd think
6: you know it would it would force you to bite your tongue a bit.
1: Yeah, and I don't think Harrison having given him a speeding ticket would be enough to tip Brian over the edge into that realm. You know, I, I think Harrison's right to give him a speeding ticket. By the way, it, it wasn't really the fact that he did that; it was just how he did it. it was a bit strange, wasn't it? Super officious and yeah. weird. Also, in Brian's defence, a little bit, I thought he was great with Neil later on, when Neil was super, super worried about the auditor being in and you know panicking about maybe losing his job and Barrow falling apart and stuff. And Brian really reassured him, said like, "None of it is your fault, Neil. No way will I let anything happen to Barrow." He, he kind of redeemed himself a bit, and there were people on Twitter who quite enjoyed him laying into Kirsty. <laughs> Yeah. That, that's the, I'm clutching at straws with that last pen. <laughs> Kirsty
6: was kind of on his side a little bit wasn't she? She was sort of mm. saying oh, yeah I, I I've had it coming you know sort of mollified Helen when Helen was um you know ready to go on the rampage.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, she did she did actually say I think Brian's right.
6: Obviously, Kirsty is massively sort of you know wallowing in guilt and mm-hmm. sort of self-flagellating to an extraordinary degree at the moment. But they picked Brian. Brian was going to be the one to represent the you know the negative side of the village, and it was just it all seemed a little bit too clumsy. And yeah. and also it was all like I said, it was very neatly done to sort of set Jim up as this kind of um, it helped sort of set Jim as the kind of moral centre of this argument at the beginning of the week, so that you, we could have the big the big payoff at the end, which I think you know everyone loved.
1: Yeah, and also that little backstory thing. About- about Harrison feeling um, underrated amongst his colleagues in the police force and in the village. He's uh, he's definitely on a bit of a downer about himself, isn't
6: he? Are they going to do a tour of every single person in the village and how they feel and how they feel they could have done better and how they didn't spot it? <laughs> or are they eventually going to have someone who's a bit more like me just like, well, you know, I'm not giving myself a hard time. I mean, it could have been anyone. You know, how are we to know? I mean, because a, a lot of people have made the point, like, you know, for, um, mm. uh, for instance, David you know a friend who's a builder comes to you with a price you're not GlaxoSmithKline. smith you're not there's not some kind of you know auditing committee within your organisation you know asking you to do you know find five different bids friends come along you like them they've offered you know given you a reasonable
7: mm-hmm.
6: a reasonable quote and so you you say yes please thank you very much it's interesting and it's enjoyable to listen to but it is it is starting to get a little bit too much hearing every single person's kind of um, um hand wringing
1: I think Gavin's going to shake things up when he appears.
6: Well, uh, (laughs) I I quite liked hearing from Philip. I've missed him. It was weird Um, hearing his
1: voice (laughs) for the first time, wasn't it? Yeah.
6: And there he was, you know, trying to be all charming to Alistair. And, you know, Alistair, I mean, it was Alistair, Alistair I thought was, it was very well acted. This is the point that I felt a lot of people were missing throughout the, the whole slavery plotline. Mm. The most important currency that these people um, have and manipulate is good manners and people's unwillingness to rock the boat or ask awkward questions. Mm. That's the space in which they operate. So even at the point at which Alistair's pretty much sure this guy's a slaver, he still ends up being guilted by his you know his own decency into getting this man into his house to have a cup of tea
1: yeah yeah
6: it it takes jim coming in you know with the with the the righteous fury fury of 70 bitter years of living with you know all these dark secrets to be able to actually Mm. just sort of explode all over all over the place i mean
1: alistair did begin to question didn't he? he began to challenge him by saying you know the gambling story i i was completely taken in by that um to the point where um, Philip was leaving, and all in a huff, wasn't he saying, "Well, oh, is that all you're going to give me? Then is that it?"
6: Yeah, I mean, I would have been fully Alistair. I would have been all kind of like, "Oh, well, I better hear his side of the story." And you know, you know, innocent until um, proven guilty. Mm-hmm. And I, but I have a feeling you would have warbissed him straight down the street. He would have been given both barrels, I think, you know, He would instantly. not have come into my
1: house, that's for sure. No, no. I think, yeah,
6: there would have been no cup of tea. No. Yeah. C- certainly not with milk in any way. <laughs>
1: um, it, when Jim was, was saying, um, you know, you haven't offered our guest a cup of tea or a drink or something, that was funny when... Um, Alistair was very baffled by that, wasn't it? And all of us were like, oh, Jim's up to something. What's it going to be? Will it?" You
6: could just feel every... I mean, whoever... It's, the dishes were put down. Um, TVs were turned off. You know, everyone sat, which is like, okay, here we go. This is months and months and months of waiting coming to fruition. Mm. This is going to be absolutely glorious. It didn't let down. It was wonderful. It was. I really enjoyed that.
1: It was. And I wasn't actually expecting that to be the thing that happened. I what, I thought what, Jim was setting up a trap for philip and that he knew that philip was in his house you know when he walked in and kind of went oh it's you i thought he knew he was in there already he'd rung the police and they'd be waiting outside but this was better
6: Mm, exactly what was the killer line um i hope the rest of your life is a living hell or something
1: yeah may you be trapped in a living hell
6: that's the one cynical me then made a very you know bleak reference to brexit britain but anyway
1: (laughs) i think my favorite bit was when he said you are weak and pathetic yourself
6: i think a couple of times i kind of was was like oh is he talking to me you know this is maybe philip and i got more in common than i thought it was it was like (laughs) oh it's very harsh
1: (laughs) when philip said fake news as well
6: Only idiots say that. One of the things they had to do, obviously, was you know they had they had Philip giving the sales pitch for you know how he wasn't a slaver; he was actually a man who'd found Mm. a nuanced and slightly tweaked version of normal trading practices to try to make a situation work for everyone. They have to put in these things that you know remind you every now and again he's a complete bell end, and you know I bet you there were still people who were kind of like listening to it going, "Well, it doesn't sound so bad actually." (laughs) You know, I mean, so I guess what I'm trying to say is. Having someone say the phrase fake news out you know out loud is is, is a big old meaty useful signpost that no like, this person is worthless and do not listen to a word yeah. they a word they say. Yeah, yeah, if you're saying fake news, as my, my wonderful, wonderful mother in law who is she is one of the remaining twelve or fourteen people in the country who say not at the end of a sentence, <laughs> at some point, I have to pluck up the courage and sort of look to sort of confront her about this and say maybe we should stop. But I think fake news might be the new knot. <laughs> mm. Should we move on? Just because,
4: interestingly, the pair of you have uh, pushed the needle somewhat in terms of guessing what our caller inner is going to speak about this week. Mm. So I'm going to have a little bit of this.
5: Hello,
4: Average 3962. And let's start in the East. Let's start in Tokyo, and it's Drew.
3: Oh, hi there to Royfield and whoever else is manning the desk at Dumpty Dum Towers this week. This is Drew calling with a missive from the Dumpty Dum Tokyo branch office. I am sitting in my car. I've just listened to the last episode of the week. For me, that's the Friday morning episode. And I am gobsmacked. I am in awe. I hadn't made the connection between Jim's past trauma and this current storyline. Whichever writer that was that made that connection, bravo. And of course, the acting was fantastic. It was really raw and emotional. I wanted to stand up and shout, I wanted to applaud Jim. Uh, I was driving, so I didn't. But uh, fantastic. The uh, important missing piece of this puzzle is still Gavin, right? Because Jim's explanation isn't true at all. There is no question in my mind that, you know, he didn't find those three guys. He bought those three guys. Otherwise, how would he know? You know, how would he have the relationship with the slave trading network? Or he tried to sell Blake back in oh, I don't know, June or so. He sold all three of them in, in December. and these, these were two separate slave dealers that he was talking to. So he didn't just sort of stumble into this thing by accident. He's been doing this for a while, and those three probably aren't the only victims. Anyway, uh, those are just the two points that I had. Have a good week, everybody. I uh, really hope that Phil ends up getting his comeuppance and that it happens soon. All right. See you all later. Bye.
1: Well, if you had clapped whilst you were driving, Drew, I think Harrison would have stuck you with a ticket or something, wouldn't he? He'd have have enjoyed that. Yeah, exactly the same. I hadn't connected Jim's past story to this one, so therefore was not expecting Jim to do what he did and link it all back to himself having been taken advantage of. So it, it, it was sort of stunning, that moment when jim first arrived he
6: was sort of um that kind of very binary uh, sort of very black and white moral um sort of clarity that jim had was obviously kind of like it was kind of framed as him being this rather awkward judgmental character and then you know here we are you know down the line and a lot of other people have been caught as i said in the kind of you know in the ambiguity of of the desire to be nice or you know always to try and see things through the lens of, kind of uh you know, t- uh, optimism or seeing the best in people. And you know, Jim Jim is obviously more analytical because he's had to be because he's been abused and right. he doesn't have he hasn't got the space or room in his heart to be so trusting. Yeah, and as I said, I you know, I would have been an Alistair, I would have been a Shuler, I would have definitely have given Philip an easy time. One of the things that I have found difficult about the the plot of <laughs> not oh, beyond the upset of the plot one of the things i found difficult is he's obviously deeply into this there's a there's a network what how where how do you get into the network like i mean it, it just it boggles the mind i mean obviously you know i've led a led a comparatively privileged very soft life because no one's going to walk up to you in the suit you know in in the um in wicks or in um mm. in the builder's yard and say oh by the way if you talk to tony he's got a bunch of slaves you can buy i mean it's it's such a big leap
1: philip did say which is probably a lie because his mouth was moving he approached homeless folk because he needed cheap labor and then provided the home for them that was his story but.
6: but but still even if you even if you follow that story through so he's got his three he's got his three homeless lads and he's He's set them up in this house and he's being a good man. He's giving them food. And unfortunately, he doesn't have any money left over after the house and the giving them of food you know, and the PlayStation to have any money left to pay them with. You know, mm. But you know, isn't that enough? And everyone knows about the deal. How do you then get into this network? It's just, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess the whole point of the plot line is that people like me, people like Royfield, as he said several times you know, to his credit, don't, we don't know mm. how to access these networks, but it, yeah. it is, is very depressing. I
1: think Drew is right in saying that these three slaves that we're all aware of are likely to not be the only ones.
6: You know, not have been sort of just wandering past the yard. As, yeah, yeah. As Philip said, he has intentionally gone out mm. using, a um, you know, probably guided by someone more experienced. Mm. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know how you access a network w- of
4: which you can buy and sell um, human beings. But that's the one bit of Philip's story, which to me did ring true, was how he stumbled into this pit of moral evilness and that it was somebody who worked for him and then he couldn't afford them and then they were homeless. That bit for me did ring true, because, but I don't know. I don't know as you said Kerry um Philip's mouth was moving so it was probably just all lines Mm. but in in terms of how you are in business Lee you know the margins are thin and then there is somebody who used to work for you and then you you see them homeless and you say well you know and that bit did make some level of sense but his mouth was moving so who knows yeah. who knows we've got lots of calls so uh, let's move on from drew all right, so drew is on the old tractor and uh, the great news is for our drew is there's not one not two but three people in tokyo who are on tractor so i suggest um you all say what's japanese for hello Is sayonara hello and goodbye
6: was it just goodbye
1: konnichiwa? is konnichiwa hello
6: I'm very, very embarrassed. I actually studied Japanese for a while and I can't remember.
1: Dayanara sounds like a goodbye to me. Anyway, uh, wh- whatever the uh, Japanese is, like,
4: I feel this is kind of like language 101. Why don't you all go onto Tractor and message each other, look at the map, zoom in, uh, you can see the three of you and just say um, hello, but uh, suitably in Japanese. Uh, moving on from Tokyo, now we're going to northern Portugal. It's Matthew.
8: Hello, all Dumpty Dummers. It's Matthew here in northern Portugal. So the dust has yet to settle in Ambridge following the unmasking of Philip, and the blame game has already begun. One weaponizing it was Evicti Rex, one of the Fair Brother brothers. Mm. With Rexit in full swing, he did what any angry young man would do and moaned about it on social media. <laughs> However, given the lack of attention his incendiary words gathered, I can only assume he posted it to Parlor shortly <laughs> before Amazon, Google and Apple put it in the bin. Speaking of accommodation, Green Acres was the place to be this past week. You can bring a love interest back by night, enjoy a custom-made breakfast in the morning – and then sit back and watch your academic host verbally eviscerate a monster. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I perhaps unfairly referred to PC Harrison Burns as the Lestrade to Roy Sherlock Holmes. Maybe between my criticism and the level of Philip Deceit, PC Burns seems to have reinvented himself as a no nonsense bad cop. Finally, we have Dirty Harrison. Once he's done with Philip, he can move on to other pressing local cases. Could start by smashing the McCreary moonshine racket before turning to Ambridge's arch villain, Eddie Gobblegate Grundy. <laughs> when he finally corners the tryptophan tyrant on the infamously unstable roof of Lower Locksley and charges him with the crimes of defeathering counterfeit turkeys, it will be with the words Do you feel plucky, punk? Ciao, gente. Obrigado. <laughs>
1: Oh, God, that was a masterpiece, wasn't it?
6: That was Some very, very high praises incoming. That was oh. James Richardson-esque. Anyone who doesn't know Jimbo, that is masterful. He
1: is wonderful, wonderful Matthew Weir in Porto. Um, I did try to tell myself to not laugh quite as much as I usually do, but I couldn't stop myself there. So I'm sorry about that. Yeah, Rex is in full swing, isn't he, moaning on the old social media. We were talking, Peter, weren't we, before this, about where he'd posted that, because at first it was it was um, described as being a text, because obviously he was just battering away on his phone. But it's got to have been on social media. And then by the time Josh was taking the beers round, there'd been no mention of it to Rex by anyone. So Matthew's point does stand. He probably did post it somewhere like Parlour where nobody can actually read.
6: Rex's um, journey from easygoing um, doormat to raging Mm-mm. capital protester ready to take down, you know, all the authorities, it's it's pretty full on. The first pip now, that now it's the whole family. I was actually thinking of you, Kerry, when he was doing that round. So I was thinking Kerry's probably nodding along to this quite enthusiastically as he was kind of outlining all of the hypocrisies and all of the smugness yeah. of the Archer family. Yeah,
1: when he said, um, people think that um, David and Ruth are really nice and I'm here to tell you that they're not kind of thing. I did think he sounds exactly like me uh, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when I was listening. And I probably would post it on social media, so I think the scriptwriters are having a bit of a dig. He was kind of um, had
6: his arm twisted by Josh. Josh was saying, oh, you do know that they're nice people, don't you? Rex you know you do know that they're mm-hmm. you know they've been nice people and would only do the right thing and I was thinking well wow. and then you know obviously Rex kind of buckled and said yes yes I do but I was thinking yeah I think Josh might be the best of them to be honest mm. you know he's sort of maybe just a bit more honest about his um, ambition and his desire to get ahead so when he wanted the to them kicked out for his own personal gain he didn't hide behind it he said it to Pip he said it to Rex he said it to anyone who would listen And, you know, he had a clear business idea. All right, why? But when Rex was saying about, you know, the fact that Pip, you know, pretending to be upset about it, you know, which is not really well, she was actually she was two faced about it. And so was um, Ruth. But anyway, we're getting on some very, very well-worn ground.
1: He he did a really decent thing there, I think. People don't apologise properly enough. He went round. He was sticking up for his family, even though, you know, he was wrong. They are not nice. He was really trying to build bridges there, wasn't he? And and why Rex would feel aggrieved at having to leave Hollow Tree Re- yeah. Rex it.
6: And it also I'm glad to hear Gobblegate's back again as well. <laughs> um there's a very vulgar, potty mouthed tweeter who often makes some rather crass jokes about the archers who um Made references to Gobblegate when um, Tracy was trying to get home from Jazzers. <laughs> but anyway, 13 um, Minute Man is who I'm oh, referring yeah, to. Yeah.
1: I liked the dirty Harrison. Do you feel plucky?
6: Yeah, Matthew is now filed uh, alongside Pat and a few other people with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, caller in a who just make me feel ashamed to even be speaking to the microphone.
1: <laughs>
2: Same.
4: Smashing. Well, uh, praise indeed, Mr. Weir over there in Porto.
2: Hello, Dom Diddom. First time coloring in her. My name is Jane. I'm a painter, as in an artist painter, and I'm in Glasgow. I got into the archers during Brian and Chavon's affair, which makes me really vintage. I found Dumpty Dum during the first lockdown and immediately felt, well, sort of indiscriminately, in love with all of you. So I had to call in this week because the Jim and Philip episode was Shakespearean in its brilliance. Witherspoon mentioned in the Facebook page that it was a fantastic weaving together of the two storylines. And yes, the study of selfishness, self centeredness and sociopathy has been stunning in the understanding and exploration of the complexities of a character like Philip. Complexities which only really exist in the lives of other people around him who, naturally enough, reach for normal human explanations for his behaviour when really... It is very difficult to understand the sociopathic character because, in a way, it is an empty hole. Just look at Donald Trump. Look at Donald Trump for the best example. So what else did I want to say? Oh, yes, I love the storyline and Jim's reaction are aligning with the current political chaos. It feels very timely and satisfying indeed. So lots of respect to the writers. And poor Kirsty. I think she comes in for a lot of criticism and really her behaviour at the moment regarding the volunteering, etc., is to be expected. The trauma she's experienced has caused her to ricochet like a pinball machine. I feel enormous sympathy for her. Anyway, lots of love to all Dumpty Dum from Glasgow. Oh, and my builders rejected my scones. They seem to like toffee pops instead. So cheerio. Thanks Dumpty Dum for everything you do. Lots of love. Bye. Oh, Jane, why did the builders reject any scones?
6: There's been a lot of archers chat about uh exactly what to it the appropriate food mm. to give to oh that was um last week wasn't it it was philippa with her um chunky kit kats yes. mm-hmm. i feel i am some level of an authority on on builders at the moment and yeah it's energy drinks that's what they get through now mm. as far as i can tell in london anyway got it got to the point where it was just a little dance we did every morning just you know hello would you like a cup of tea? no an occasional real cup of coffee but then it, it had to be like a real cup of coffee
7: mm. no, anyway, no snacks
1: yeah.
6: no you know i offered all kinds of stuff i mean once or twice when i was making lunch for the family they would have some of that but you know anyway
1: isn't it nice but, to know that someone is in love with us all
6: absolutely i mean and blanket as blanket as well no exceptions yes. so that's you know that's good <laughs> that, that would have been fantastic it's like and um i got into it during the um the lockdown and i love you all except for peter who's a stuck up sexist racist racist gobshite and can just f off <laughs> but for anyone who feels like that i would have wholeheartedly agreed with it my my self confidence is at an all-time low at the moment so i would have fully gone gone for oh, that
1: why is that peter
6: i've been chin up all through the lockdown and i think it's you know i just it's finally got to me i'm a late comer to the i mean i've been all kind of like trying to see the positives and I think it's yeah. finally got me
1: but Jane's voice was lovely and I would have loved her to have annihilated you in her beautiful Scottish.
6: Yeah, voice. and I'm I'm planning to become Scot- Scottish when yeah. um, Rosie Porty has, um, has has said I can become Scottish so that's pretty much decision made. I think Nicholas Sturgeon will be receiving a um, a sealed envelope from Rosie in the next few weeks. Really? So I will be Peter McFickling. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she was right as well Jane about the sociopaths being difficult to understand but and yet being a gaping hole. I like that's the, that's
6: the perverse thing about sort of psychopathy and mm-hmm. sociopathy, if that's the correct way of putting mm-hmm. it, is obviously they are masterful at reading us mm-hmm. and imitating us. And yet, you know, from our point of view, just their behavior is is so alien and so impossible to decode. I mean, that's, again, it's probably their success, isn't it? Because how could you suspect what these people are up to because they are, you know, because they're so happily, or well, not happily, even so comfortably evil.
1: Yeah. Ooh, scary. Yeah.
4: I'll tell
6: you what, our, our Jane
4: uh, McCants is somewhat of an accomplished and a celebrated artist uh, over there in Glasgow. So if you go to Jane McCants, uh, com, uh you can see her, her, see her artwork, see her paintings. She, she's a wonderful person. So that's Jane over there in Glasgow.
9: Now it's Paul. Hi all, I'm Paul from the new forest side of the wonderful city of Southampton, but I'm also fortunate to spend many months of the year in Fuerteventura. I'm a first-time caller in I think I've been a constant dum-de-dum listener for over four years. I remember I recorded a group of about 80 of us singing Barwick Green at my friend and likewise regular listener Cincinnati Steve for his 60th birthday party. Unfortunately, it never made it onto the show. I consider my archers vintage to make me a long-lost member of the Gabriel family. Walter Gabriel's was one of the first voices I remember, and I always loved Nelson's lugubrious tones. Oh, to have a voice like Jack May. I was prompted to call this week for two reasons. First, it was just a brilliant week. I believe one of the main reasons soaps are so addictive is because we usually know more about what's happening than the characters do so the handling of the ongoing fallout on the modern slavery story was really fascinating yet again John Rowe as Jim Lloyd was brilliant and it was great to hear him the whole omnibus was excellent and made me think again about how much I miss the six episodes a week format secondly something that's been in my head for over a year now it's part of the they don't know what they don't know premise I referred to earlier wasn't Ed originally introduced to Tim Otey by Oliver? Or have I misremembered? That introduction nearly cost Ed everything. and I don't think Oliver has ever found out that he inadvertently started a chain of events that cost Ed and Emma a precious year of their relationship and their dream home. I wonder what he'd do if he knew. Anyway, that's it from me. Stay safe. Take care. Count your blessings. The Archers and Dundee Dumb dum are two of mine mug of tea raised to you all thank you cheers
7: Aww.
1: mug of blessings back yeah that was an interesting thing that Paul has said at the end there about the Timothy introduction by Oliver
6: yeah i think i think a lot of us were assuming Timothy was somehow sort of caught up in the philip plot line weren't we i mean mm. this was not too late but that you know i mean bosc just doesn't seem big enough to have five or six, so, you know like a richardson's Anna craze you know, you sort of suspect that all of the ne'er do wells are kind of linked up somehow. Yeah. But but then it gets back to what we were talking about earlier on with uh, um you know the different you know, you've got the Niels of this world who are kind of absolutely devastated by mm-hmm. any potential connection they've got to Philip. And then you've got probably a bit, bit more like me who would sort of maybe feel a bit guilty but also see the fact that, you know, introducing someone to you know someone to a, a to a Timothy is not the same thing as condoning Timothy's behaviour. Yeah,
1: true. Of course, Paul is totally correct in that part of our fascination currently is that we know so much more than the characters do themselves. And so us hearing them discovering the stuff that we know already and trying to work it out in their consciences.
6: I feel like they're making a lot more effort to play with us as listeners than they have done in the past. How long's the, the most recent editor been around? I want to say a year and a half. Is that right, Boyfield? maybe back to so after getting their feet under the table and then sort of planning the scripts out and obviously they can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater i think we're starting to sort of feel the full um uh, uh, editorial tone of the new of the new regime mm. and i think they're a lot happier to sort of uh, lie to us for the sake of plot development which i quite like yeah so do i but, but it used to be a lot more what you see is what you get right mm. true that true that
4: Paul, hopefully you've heard the start of the show. If you got this far, Paul, you probably have heard the start of the show. And you would have heard Cincinnati Steve, your best muckers, uh, 60th birthday. So there you go. Three years late, but we've got there in the end.
10: Hi, Royfield, and whatever reprobates you've dragged in from the street. It's Cheryl here calling from the bench of the Brazen Robin halfway around my daily exercise here in the Wall of Corn. First time I phoned in a couple of weeks just because I thought the 70th anniversary episode was a real... Breaking point, an end of Act One in which we found out what a rotter Philip is, and the beginning of Act two where the village take the fall out, hopefully heading towards Act Three, where the police and the legal system do their bit and actually punish him. A couple of things from this week. I was really taken with the conversation between Brian and Neil and what that meant in terms of Neil as the honest man who feels guilty, even though he's done absolutely nothing wrong and Brian as the real sort of voice of reason and calm and reassurance in a way that I just don't think that Neil would have got from Justin. Moving on to Jim and his fabulous conversations both in respect to Chazza with that lovely crossword thing about you know three being a crowd and then moving on to Philip where he lulled him into that false sense of security and and allowed him to tell his tale and and delude himself into believing he was reasonable and then wrap it all up nicely, handing it back to him on a plate and saying, you know, take a look at yourself and look how horrible you are. Wonderfully acted. Mm -hmm. We knew exactly what Jim was thinking and where his mind was going and and you could feel everything he was pulling together. Uh, It's the beauty of knowing this character so well now of how this has come together and how bright I think that felt what on earth was Alistair doing letting him into the house it was just just bonkers I mean anyone else would have said not being seen with you on your way boy. Obviously the genius of Jim and what he did was that both him and Alistair have now heard exactly the full story that they can take to the police and and be credible witnesses when the whole thing goes to court.
1: That's true isn't it I didn't even think of that Jim and Alistair can take that to the police. And reprobates dragged off the street, Royfield. In,
6: interesting parallels between your management technique and Philips there. <laughs> well yeah. done.
1: Yeah. Are you going to give us three square meals soon?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but you, you got a Nintendo what, is it 64 to play with. That was
1: great. She was right, Cheryl, about Brian being that calm, reassuring person towards Neil.
6: Yeah, she put it better than I did. That's what I was trying to say, basically.
1: Yeah, and also the key, the key bit, you know, about lovely, lovely Jim again. Not just with the Philip stuff, but that whole thing. He knew Tracy was upstairs, didn't he?
4: Now, just a quick note, everybody. We have raised five thousand nine hundred and four uh, British pounds for unseen and actually there's been a rather large donation which has been made to unseen through charity aid the great listener for well, listeners because the husband and wife team uh, that, that did that uh said royfield uh, don't mention our names and don't mention the amount but all i can say is utterly thank you thank you to everybody who's donated so far As I said, it's £5,904 to date. And definitely thank you to the husband and wife team. They know who they are. And I sent them a message and says, bloody hell. And they went, "Mm -mm." Uh, no, it's all right. Um, We're just doing what we think is right. And definitely thank you to you. Now, what we are going to do is on the 29th, that's Friday the 29th of this month, we are going to do a dum-de-dum live Ben Sexy Eyes Norris, who, of course, plays Mm -hmm. Ben Archer. And then we will unveil the recipient, uh, the lucky recipient, of the uh, 70th anniversary script. And just to reiterate what Ian Pepper said at the start of last week's episode, this has been signed by all the actors of The Archers. So if you haven't donated to Unseen yet, quite simply, go on to JustGiving.com or slash fundraising, and it's Blake, Kenzie, Zan Jordan. Uh, you can go on to DumbedDumb.com, and the link is there, or go to us on Facebook or on the Twitters, and you'll see the link there. Any donation, it's not an auction, will give you, um, not only help us get to our new goal of 10,000 quid uh, to give uh, months, or uh, six months worth of shelter and support for somebody who's been a victim of modern slavery but also go into the hat to potentially receive um, a signed 70th anniversary archers script thank you to everybody that's made us get up to this figure so far so technically it's actually somewhat bigger than what it says on just giving because a large donation was made just once seen through charity aid
1: do you mean that anyone who has donated thus far might become the recipient? Or do you yes. mean that yeah. anyone who donates during that live? Oh,
4: become? no, 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 okay. no, no. no. sorry if that wasn't clear. So thank you for clearing that up. Uh, we're going to pull the names out of the hat cool. uh, live during the Ben Norris show. So um, lots of people have donated anonymously. So, obviously, if you're anonymous, I don't know who, who you are, but if you have left your name basically on the Just Giving page, your name will be put into the hat and you never know, you might be pulled out of said hat. So, uh, that was our Cheryl. Now it's Andrew Horn and he's got some stuff to say and I believe he's going to give somebody the clap. Greetings, Earthlings. Andrew Horn here. Now, one burning hot topic that we must address hobnobs. Those are the biscuits that we give to the
9: workmen, builders and people who come to the house. No one is getting their hands on my rich tea and fig rolls. They are exclusively for me. I don't know why you've got such a downer on rich tea biscuits, Royfield, but you're wrong.
0: (laughs) End all. And of course the other really important matter to the script writers and the actors this week in what will become a vintage episode. I ask you all to rise and join me. That is all. Stay safe, everyone.
1: I want to know whether the hobnobs are chocolate or not. He didn't specify. It was very important. Andrew's got big
6: hands as well. Yeah. That's a meaty always oh, Or his mistress those... has an ample bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just bend over there. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to, got to applaud Jim Lloyd. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Andrew. i I'm very. I know you're a, a god fearing and, and clean living man. I apologize.
1: Jim definitely does deserve a clap. Uh, yes,
6: yes, that's true. Yeah, uh, Roy Field has said um, a couple of times about how it took him a, a while to sort of um, fall in love with Linda, and I feel that you know Jim has gone on a comparable, if not identical, sort of you know arc. He's you know he started off as the kind of rather prickly. Hectoring father, and he's now you know he's he's right at the centre of things, isn't he? He can do no wrong for quite a mm-hmm. long time. True, mm-hmm. that that is very true.
1: You know, I think the saddest thing was, was, with 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 Jim was was his lack of interest, affection, no parties, and so on. For the parent and sort of thinking, oh my goodness, and 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 it made sense as to how Alister was how he was, and that was the tragedy for me that for years and years and years, what had happened to Jim had made him. Disconnect from his own child.
0: (laughs) Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling toss
3: salads and scrambled eggs.
0: Mercy.
11: (laughs) Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dum Towers, and to all Dumpty Dumbers around the world, it's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Today, I'm not going to discuss that great finale episode of the week, as I'm sure many others will. I do have two topics, and I hope you review both. First, going back to Shula not wanting to speak with Philip when he called. I'm actually going to support what she did. Whenever I see the name of a difficult or challenging patient calling, I always let it go to voicemail. It gives me a chance to listen to the message, hear what the issue is, and gather my thoughts to avoid saying the wrong thing. Obviously, if it's an emergency, I return the call immediately. Otherwise, I call back when I'm in a comfortable position and mentally prepared to talk. So, to the wannabe vicar, there was no need to get all Prince of Denmark about it. In the future, when parishioners call you with their problems, it is perfectly Christian to let it go to voicemail first, but do call them back. Second topic, Traser. Following up on what I briefly said two weeks ago, I still don't want to see them as a couple. Yes, I do think Tracy is too good for Jazzer. We've seen a lot of maturing in her over the last year, and I think she needs someone who would help her strive to do even better. Even though we see sparks of improvement in Jazzer, I worry he would drag Tracy down. As I've mentioned before, I see Jazzer as the court jester of Ambridge, and I'd like to see him remain as a single man. You know, it reminds me of Sam and Diane in Cheers, who were more interesting and fun when they were flirting, rather than when they were together. Also, it seems like in many of the couples in Ambridge, I'm not saying at all, the woman is more emotionally intelligent and sensible than the man, and I don't want to see Trazer as another one of those couples. Talk to you soon.
1: Mm, with a spoon. The Shula thing, yeah, I get why you might leave difficult people who've come up on your phone to go to voicemail the, the problem with her is if she'd done that that would have been fine but no she was going oh what do i do what, what shall i do it's, it's philip you know just have some sort of decision making facilities within your brain to know what to do Instead of behaving like that, that that's the thing. And I know she wasn't a vicar yet. That doesn't matter at all. Just you know what to do if Philip, cri- the slave master, calls you. Also, her crisis wasn't about
6: doing the right thing by Philip or doing the right thing by you know the community. It was all about the effect it was was having on her. Yep. You know, she was worried for herself. Alan made the point that you have to, was, that, was it Alan who made the point? You know, you have to talk to all sorts. Yeah. It's not just being a vicar is not just a kind of like a giant, you know, echo chamber of, you know, hearing, you know, hearing the stuff you want to hear. So you might have to have a chat with some, some, um, some pederasts and yeah. gerontophiles and uh, 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 slavers and, you know, <laughs> depending on the village, obviously. So take Witherspoon's advice, listen to the message, but you are going to have to speak to this person, even if it's just to tell them, you know, go to the police and tell them the truth.
1: But also she hasn't fathomed yet that there's going to be tricky conversations and tricky people coming up on her phone and stuff. Yeah, That's a bit t- odd, isn't it? Then the Trazer thing, not wanting them to be a couple because Tracy's too good for Jazza and that Jazza might bring her down and he should stay single. I think that's writing Jazza off a bit. Why can't he be set on this lovely road of actually feeling more fulfilled about his life because he f- is with someone important to him?
6: He can't rise to challenges he doesn't have. When Jim needed support, Jazz was there for him. Mm. I think I've made comments about pig arcs before. He might operate around the margins and cut a few corners, but ultimately when it's raining and Tom needed help on a you know Sunday or Saturday morning, he would drag himself out, to, out of bed to help. I mean, he. I think when the chips are down, Jazz is someone you want to, behind you. He's helped dead out of a few scrapes over the years.
1: I just think they've got a good connection. They speak to each other on the same level.
6: I adore both of them. So nothing I'm going to say is, is supposed to be taken as a sort of criticism of either of them. But Tracy showed the complications of being a dedicated mother who is trying to also, you know, fulfill parts of her life, including her love life. And she basically took, put down the opportunity of a lifetime to go and, you know, live in the Maldives and uh, have this adventure, something she's probably been yearning for because she wanted to be a good mother. Jazza's obviously doing something right because she's willing to um, give him the time of day even after he um, sold her child booze. Mm. So you know she's she's not being she's not being a, the the fully responsible person because she's keeping this person will sell drugs to children in her life and and only and especially when he's next door. So I mean, this is the archer. So I'm not trying to take it too, too seriously, but she is being irresponsible in in having a relationship with Jazza. Irresponsible. Irresponsible. Yeah. He sold booze to her child, and she's knocking boots with him. That's irresponsible.
1: Mm. what about yeah when jim was saying about the one night stand covid thing as well you know i know he was using it wasn't he to sort of say well i think there's a bit more to it than this because you wouldn't have risked the covid rules for a one night stand would you and he was like oh i wasn't really thinking about that
6: i'm trying not to be too sanctimonious about that i think you and i had a chat about this a few weeks Mm -hmm. ago kerry you have your two children um your mother's part of your support bubble so ultimately if you draw a venn diagram of the people you love the vast majority of love in your life is all taken care of and you can go for nice walks Mm. on the beach. I'm not saying that you haven't been impacted by the lockdown, but you are fairly blessed when it comes to sort of keeping yourself emotionally connected. And I'm exactly the same. I've got my little boy, I've got my lovely wife. So it's very easy for us to get a bit po-faced about stuff. If you're a single person you know mm. losing a year of your life i mean if if someone exciting and mm. someone exciting who turned you on sort of emotionally and physically came along in your life i'm sorry covid be damned
1: yeah i wouldn't mind a shag no. though but i don't <laughs> <laughs> but i don't think that should be kept in
6: <laughs> okay what well, um listeners um we're going to be um on, as well as a signed script you can now win something a bit more exciting <laughs> um, <laughs> breaking news how are we going to manage this
4: well, Kerry has received fan mail. That's all I'm saying. The, the, the people are, you know, <laughs> queuing up uh, to to have dibs, and not oh, that's a ter- terrible <laughs> word to say. <start.
6: laughs> I, I always assumed you were more blessed, Royfield. If you're I, dibbing, I, then that's a real uh, Peter.
4: <laughs> anyway, listen. Uh, we need someone to dig a this hole, and it
12: uh, is the good, wholesome Glenn. Full of love. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glenn here on location uh, this week in the woods. Uh, pictures to follow on the Facebook page. On to the archers. Uh, Last week was uh, a romp and three men behaving badly. Uh, I'll confine myself to the three men. First, uh, well, Philip Moss. He was well taken down by Professor Jim Lloyd, and there's nothing I can add to the professor's uh, excellent demolition. On Rex, well, I feel that's all a bit contrived. It feels like they've worked backwards from his posting to being kicked out of holotry before Christmas. And I'm not not a fan of contrived stories, so I'm going to leave that one there. On Brian, well, what does uh, Brian's out, outburst in the shop tell us about him? I think it tells me that he sees his wrongdoing in essentially transactional terms. He did something illegal. And he's been punished for it, and that's the end of it. And he doesn't really see it in ethical terms. Someone explained atonement to me as you need to break down that word into at one meant. And atonement is a process by which you change your behaviour, you change your way of thinking about things, so you accept what you have done what, what, when you've done something uh, wrong and you seek to correct yourself so you don't make the same mistake again. And I think if you look at Brian, I think we can say he's been punished for his sins, but I don't think in those terms he's atoned for his sins Looking forward to this week and further developments. Uh, thank you all for the podcast. Keep up the great work. And to everyone in Dum to Dumb Land, stay safe. Bye for mm. now.
1: I do love how very different all of our caller-innerers approach the caller-innering.
6: Sorry to interrupt, yeah. Kerry. That was, that was very, very thought-breaking. I'm, I'm definitely going to have written down a couple of notes. Mm. I'm definitely going to have a, a good old mither um, about that later on because it, it sort of held a mirror up to some of the stuff I was saying earlier on about how I felt more Brian about the situation. Mm. Not not his behaviour in the shop, to be clear, but more his kind of ability to sort of say, dealing with Philip does not taint you completely.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, Brian seeing his wrongdoing in a transactional sense, obviously. Yeah. Um, I reckon Brian was punished for his sins by the script writers this week, <laughs> to be honest, um, in that... Um it was interesting what Glenn said about Rex and being not a fan of contrived stories.
6: He's going to get the council farm, isn't he? That's happening.
1: Yeah, someone was saying um about why don't Emma and Ed go for the council farm?
6: Because the actors are they can only afford how many actors per 3 month cycle and those actors have already been used up on you know being put in a caravan and oh. you know all the practical stuff sorry to be <laughs> <laughs> Is that not the answer?
1: Oh right, okay. But yeah. yeah, it would be quite good if it got sort of swooped away from Rex in some ways.
6: Um, the difference between Emma and Ed is Emma has Emma is thwarted by. social inequity and by the fact that multiple societies, including ours, do not, you know, do not give enough chances to the poor or to people from kind of Mm. less privileged backgrounds. And then, you know, but, but equally, you know, different people react to those, those circumstances different. I mean, Ed would not look at that farm and think I deserve that. I should go for it. He would be stressed out about how is he going, you know, he's, you know, he'd be worried about how is he going to fill the property with Mm. with the livestock? How is he going to afford the cost of the feed? Rex has that kind of entrepreneurial drive. So it is credible that he would go for that. Rex, Rex
1: will swagger in thinking he can do it all whilst complaining about the fact that the buildings aren't quite pretty enough.
6: Yeah and he he also you know despite despite um uh con- you know spending quite a lot of time recently moaning about the archers and their privilege he seems to have conveniently forgotten that he was able to be a professional rugby player whilst picking up a stipend from daddy so hmm. you know and the only reason they don't get that stipend now is because their father's even more of a snob than the people that he's so upset with you know if they were wanting to be stockbrokers or hedge fund managers hmm. uh, is that the same thing I don't really know Then Daddy would still be giving them money. It's only because they're playing at being farmers as he sees it that they're even. The irony is because because they're playing at being farmers, they can't just ask Daddy to buy them a farm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, having that buffer behind you just makes you be such a different person, doesn't it?
6: Yeah, I do remember listening to Jarvis Cocker's Common People. I was lying in, I was um, on my downers, living sort of hand to mouth in Manchester. And uh, I was listening to Common People when it first came out Mm. and I dropped out of university and I was kind of, you know. But I knew that I was a uh, National Express bus ride from freshly laundered sheets and Mm. buttered scones. As I was listening to it, I was like, oh, I really failed this test.
1: (laughs) And Royfield, Mm. do you fail that test or not? Yeah, we've heard
6: Uh, him. He's mummy's boy. Royfield loves his (laughs) mummy.
4: I'm very lucky to have a home uh back in brum so if i ever mess up i find my arse hanging out with trousers I, I can always uh kind of go back home yeah. so so yes peter we're, we're in the we're in the
6: same
1: boat Lucky club. A I, I saw a... Is, is a bit really privileged place to be in isn't it really yeah
6: when when royfield and i were doing some um christmas hellos at christmas funnily enough he sent me a rather lovely screenshot of his assembled family there was um and top left where mum and dad mm-hmm. sort of it was like it was like a kind of family tree the way that Royfield had organized them all so wow. mum and dad were top left and then Royfield and all the children kind of spilled down the page
4: just to link this back to to the archers in in another, another way um it's not by accident that Blake Kinsey and Jordan come from difficult uh homes don 't they broken homes non-existent homes that don't have a relationship with their uh, with their families and that's partly the reason why they could be taken advantage of mm-hmm. and the vast majority of people who are British who find themselves in modern slavery come from that background. Um, it's interesting speaking to Justine from Unseen last week it's one of the things which she did say to me that it's disproportionately people have gone through the care system and ultimately don't have uh, those st- strong family bonds that find themselves, um, who are non-immigrant, who find themselves kind of in, in modern slavery. Yeah. So, so yes, um, it's it's very important. It's, it's utterly very important how uh, you know the warm love and embrace that ultimate kind of insurance policy that the majority of us have. That if we if we mess up, for, for any reason in our lives, that we still have people to care yeah. for us and we don't find ourselves yeah. uh, being vulnerable.
6: Mm. I remember being shocked by a friend who was telling me they'd been in care and they were telling me about just the kind of uh, the suicide rate and incarceration rate of their alumni. Mm. Um, it was terrifying.
1: <laughs> Emails. So the first one is from Debbie Bridge and the subject is workman's biscuits and cheap clothes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, So she is saying, biscuits for workmen, always McVitie's ginger nuts. For years, my colleague, who was strict about coffee before 12, midday and tea after 12, would never accept a chocolate or a biscuit until one day I found his weakness, ginger nuts. <laughs> and yes, I fully agree with you about Primark and similar outlets. If a t shirt costs fifty P then take away the costs to the store, the staff, the transportation, et al. And finally the bosses in the country where it was made and the worker gets silch. If something's cheap, someone somewhere isn't getting their fair share. It's always fascinated me that people who shop in places like Primark and get everything dirt cheap will then donate to charity they paid the going rate for the goods they purchased then maybe the workers wouldn't need the charity ramped over and that was split into biscuits and cheap labour.
6: how much of it is our personal obligation mm. i mean you know there's so much to think about now when you're making all these day-to-day decisions so a trip to the supermarket is a real kind of a um, moral conundrum these days i mean i I have started to try and buy fair trade if that 's not the wrong word mm-hmm. um sort of English or british made clothing so that I can sort of know that no no one has been you know has been is a slave just to be a bit smug i've been doing this before the the whole plot line in the arches and mm-hmm. uh, it's incredibly expensive. Mm. it but you know luckily these days i don't have to worry about fashion because i'm a middle-aged man so you know (laughs) these clothes are going to last me forever hopefully Mm. but but yeah it's it how do you even start i mean you've now got to check every pot for palm oil Mm. um are you even allowed to eat oil anymore you know it's it's it's, this is all cliched stuff but it's it's such a we, you, you need government legislation. You need companies to take care of this stuff for you, so that, yeah. you, so that you don't sort of tie yourself in knots over exactly. it.
1: Exactly. And I think people who are on a low income will go to Primark. You know, yeah, I certainly did when I was single mumming, you know, with two little kids, and you know, to get the sort of the boring things like baby grows and socks and pants that they outgrow within sort of a month or two. That's where I went for that sort of thing.
6: Yeah, sorry, Max. Sorry, Mimi. You're going to have to be dressed <laughs> in threadbare clothes and you know with stains on because I because my morals and my my care for an abstract child in in Asia is is greater than my care for you the actual bullying you're going to receive yeah. at school. I
1: should have thought more about why and how they were that cheap, but weirdly, just you know they were on the high street and seemed reputable, like. Yeah. It didn't cross my mind, which is wrong of me. But also, I didn't have much money to spend. The biscuit thing's weird, isn't it? Ginger nuts, no thanks. Uh, rich tea, no. Fig rolls, my dad used to eat them. Not a fan. Hobnobs, maybe. What's your favourite biscuit? <laughs> Quickly.
6: <laughs> uh, a ginger nut. I love a ginger I, nut. So if I'm ever, if I'm ever, yeah, if I'm ever around, um, thank do, you very much. Do you
1: dunk or not?
6: Ginger nuts not a dunking biscuit, okay. I don't think. It doesn't go well with tea or coffee. All biscuits
1: are dunking. Just are they?
6: Yeah. Mm, well, I'm going to disagree on that okay. one. I mean, no,
4: those pink wafer biscuits, they're, they're not dunking biscuits.
1: They're not even a biscuit, really, are they? They're like some sort of polystyrene or something else. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember,
6: obviously, I know the proper name, but squash fly biscuits when I was a kid. Oh, that was my absolute, oh, yeah, Garibaldi's. Oh.
1: Yeah.
6: You don't see them anymore, do you? Good. When you're um running away from your bed sit in Manchester back to to the, the the warm bosom of Birmingham and your mother's embrace, what are the, what biscuit will you be expecting? What's what's on, on the um in the brown cupboard? Chocolate
4: digestives. Uh, what yes. uh, mum has it in the uh, in the biscuit tin. going back to what Andrew Horn said uh, some minutes ago about why have we got it in for rich tea. Rich tea biscuits are like communion wafer, aren't yep. they? Just like utterly boring. There's just not Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The only way to enliven a rich tea is to dunk it. And at least you get in something else into the experience. But they're just, you know, joyless, pious biscuits. Yeah.
6: But you've got you t- you two have got kids. I mine's mine's tiny, so I've yet to, I think I will inflict rich tea biscuits on Cyrus because I feel it's part of his kind of cultural heritage <laughs> to be grateful for biscuits that bad. And then well, finally
4: no, he, I I couldn't agree with you more. You need to have a rich tea biscuit than to appreciate every other type of biscuit. You know. But I tell you what
6: though. Is that why you have you me do? on the podcast? Am I the rich tea biscuit to the you and hey. Kerry to make everyone yeah? Hey.
4: Thank you. Uh, I tell you the one thing which blew my stack when I had uh, wee little kids: Farley's rusks. Oh my God, those things are fantastic. Are they sweet? Yeah. Oh God, Peter, they're all manner wonderful. Before you put milk in them or whatever, and like mash them up into like a little kiddie porridge, just have a Farley's rusk. <laughs> That is a joyous thing to have, I'm telling you.
1: Oh, I can't remember the last time I bought any biscuits. We're not a really biscuity household. We don't have that much of a sweet tooth. I'll tell you what are good, though, that, you know, those Liebnitz biscuits or whatever they're called from Lidl, where the chocolate's hanging over the side. Mm. quite a dry...
6: They look know. like the kind of biscuits you'd have in a brothel. They're too fancy. I mean, you know... <laughs> Do brothels
1: have biscuits, Peter? <laughs> Do tell us about your experience <laughs> on this
6: point. Well... Do you know? I've never, I've never been to a brothel, but I, I would. This, uh, this, I um, think you have,
1: Peter.
6: Uh, you know maybe, maybe. Yeah. the level of detail
4: you're going into with
6: brothel biscuit. There's two places I want to go to. One is I want to go to a Turkish bath like chariots in London, because to see what it's like. Oh, my mates go in are always wanna... in
1: chariots. You don't want to go in there, Peter.
6: I, I do. I want you to don't. go. To... There's a place. You'll get so, Violet, Roy, you can go to the place I really want to go to. This is like my ultimate. There's a place on. Um, not I used to live on Knob Hill in San Francisco and there's a place called bush street and halfway out, up bush street do you used to live in Nob hill yeah wow proper posh. you were you were earning the big box feet no 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 because i was on the tender knob so halfway between no, um because
1: no, it's all made up Not, no
6: no uh, no it's between, real 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 area names halfway between the tenderloin and knob hill i was on uh, so on the tender knob i was on bush street so taylor and bush and down the hill from there is a, a, a show that's on permanently called Touch My Junk. And I always wanted to, <laughs> wanted to go in there. It's basically like chariots meets a kind of uh, a stage show. But I just because I want to see what it's like, you know. I want to go into a brothel. I want to. I want to do everything but having the sex. You no, know, I don't want to trade in in flesh and make people miserable. But seeing is that I just want to see what goes on. Mm. Is that so bad? <laughs> I just want to nibble. Nibble on what, Peter? Sit in the corner of a brothel and nibble on a lead and just watch. <laughs> watch well, watch, Yeah, watch everything going down. Oh. Uh, I mean, going on.
1: <laughs> oh my god brilliant uh do we have another email we do we do jenny newman has sent (laughs) us um an email and the subject is keep on keeping on she says hi royfield kerry peter and any other presenters i just wanted to say thanks to whoever it was who recommended the podcast drama this thing of darkness i have binge listened to it this week and absolutely loved it so much so that it's now the weekend and I've still not listened to this week's Dumpty Dum yet. I love the Archers, but especially love Dumpty Dum and our community. Keep on keeping on. Thanks, Jen.
6: This is the thing with podcasts now, right, is that it? your life is just too full of them. There's too many podcasts. No. There's too much on YouTube. There's, there's not no more space to absorb all of these different things.
1: I don't listen to any podcasts other than this one.
6: <laughs> Do you not? You, is, that, is that a tongue-in-cheek like No, I don't. What? I don't. Well, so before you were on Dumpty Dum, the only podcast you listened to was Dumpty Dum? Yes. Really?
1: Yeah.
6: And my favourite podcast is Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell. And every time I listen to it, I feel like such a charlatan and a fraud royfield inflicting my nonsense on the world when i could be doing something as <laughs> as erudite and as clever as M- 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 madwell uh, uh, let, let me let
4: me stop you let me
6: stop you right there peter right i enjoy
4: revisionist history there's a massive team of people behind that i went to a conference in boston year before last the producer was there an editor was there the assistant blah 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 was there don't get me wrong Malcolm Gladwell is a, a sage of our times. He's very engaging and original thinker. But my God, there's a whole team of people behind that with a lot of money behind them. So to compare what we do with that is like apples and oranges.
6: We've got Janine, Alfonso, <laughs> um, the Gregory twins. Um, I mean. <laughs> All right, Pete.
4: Yeah, fine. My, my point's made. And I must admit, I'm a little bit. specifically with that podcast, which is a podcast that I enjoy and is a good Jamaican-British-Canadian guy, Gladwell. But if you're an independent podcaster, it's podcasts like that, which are basically taking away ears from independent podcasters because it's people who are, are using, and good luck to them, so I'm not blaming them at all, who have made their celebrity in traditional media then come into podcasting and gone as podcasting being the kind of democratic egalitarian kind of wild west where you know you can just like set up with, with the with the podcasting mic and the, and find your audience because people like Gladwell are in this space now doing a million downloads a month uh, there's only so much time that anybody has to listen to stuff going back to your point Peter and increasingly increasingly celebrities are taking up our time and stuff so there's less time for truly independent podcasts so this is a little bit of a, mm. a Royfield rant and it's nothing against that podcast it's great but one of the reasons why it's great is because it is a proper business and there's about 30 people in, employed on that podcast alone it's amazing yeah. and that's, and, I, and, I, and I saw the talk that they gave I'm like oh my god
6: well I I know that I know that I give you a hard time Royfield and I you know mocking you publicly is one of my true pleasures in life these days Kerry and I have spoken many times in in private about the fact that it is you know it's a real uh, what's the, I don't I don't want to use a too hackneyed, hackneyed the cliche but I will say anyway yeah, it's a real honour and a privilege to sort of um, piggyback the hard work you put in and be able to talk to such a large number of people you know it's an unusual thing to be doing as well it is a treat so thank you for that ah oh, well l- well listen
4: if it wasn't for the fact that Perry you so bloody good you wouldn't be on here would you <laughs> yeah <laughs> Thank you for that, uh, my old mate, my old mucker. Now it's uh, time for us to take five, have a quick break. It's Amber Verda. Once you can hear her twice. It's a social media roundup.
5: Selling a little or a lot. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com
11: have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door.
5: Hello Dumpty Dum, Amber again, with this week's social media roundup. Well, on the socials, Philip has understandably been talk of the town. Renuka Baldwin said, Wasn't Philip so cold in his account of how he took on the lads? Does he really believe he did them a favour? Does that count as lying if he truly believes he housed and homed them as a good deed? Or is he just a complete narcissist with a grandiose sense of self-importance? Noli Griffin, I hope I pronounced that right, sorry, said, This is the story he told himself, brackets, and Gavin, for years, so he's clinging to it, fighting to keep believing it because the alternative is pretty awful. Others believed Philip was undeniably aware of what he was doing. Admittedly, after reading this discussion, I'm more inclined to agree. Gail Elizabeth Batty said, It wasn't just a random one-off, oh, I thought I was helping him out. He knew the black marketeers. He knew the lingo. He had contacts all over the country. Oh, he's a baddie, all right. He's trying to meet up with folks who would spread his tale of woe and mistaken meanings. But obviously, Jim hasn't fallen for it. Maybe he'll try Susan next. Alison Brelsford expressed similar sentiments. He punished them by taking away their games console. He controlled what they ate and probably the clothes they wore, who they spoke to, brackets, Blake in the hospital. He knew that one word out of place and he'd be in trouble. He called them horses, so didn't even look on them as human. It goes beyond arrogance. He knew what he was doing. Lisa Waite agreed. He was a tiny bit plausible in his self-delusion until you remember how he sold them on to Victoria. Witherspoon weighed into a lot of these discussions incredibly carefully and educationally, as per usual, providing helpful links for information providing helpful links for information and classifications in the DSM to try and steer people out of the willy-nilly territory of bandying terms like psychopath and sociopath around, as well as educating on the classifications of personality disorders versus mental illnesses. It's always heartening to see informative conversations going on in the group. Thanks for that, Witherspoon. Springboarded from that, something I always love to see, absolutely gassing up of my favourite character Jim. Lillian McCarthy opened up this praise circle with big ups to the prof. Charlotte Yarker said, I lost it at I've been waiting 70 years to say that. Wow, or bravo, as Jim would say. Jonah Titchmarsh said he recognised Philip as an abusive personality like his abuser. He didn't know Philip was abusing anyone, but he knew he was capable of it. Witherspoon said it was a great link between the two storylines, and I agree. A real sign of good writing when they can yoke things together like that so seamlessly, purposefully and engagingly. On that praise of the writers, Michael Wheelock said, Jim, I doff my cap at you, sir. Brackets and to the scriptwriters as well. All in all, it seems we were in praise of a well-written, nicely tied up week with many of you coming on to express how much you enjoyed it as a fuller omnibus at the end of the week. Thanks. Bye.
4: Thank you for that, Amber. Right, Pete, we need some corking tweets.
6: Do we? Yeah, I thought did. I thought it was voluntary these days. Apparently, you can just come on and say, um, "Oh, to um, am going to
4: Philippa, to be fair to Philippa, because she didn't exactly deliver the best tweets that she could, and you told her that she couldn't." Kind
1: of <laughs> <laughs> right. she, she said. Uh,
4: she did say to me beforehand. She says, "Could I possibly uh, do something else because I feel battered and bruised?" Oh. So, oh so I I gave her a special dispensation. However, I'm not okay. giving you the self same No,
6: I I I, so. I I I very much got that. Um okay, here we go. This is uh my 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 weekly karmic payback for all of the unpleasantness that I give to Royfield. Right, and um and Kerry as well. Kerry joined in as well for some reason. So here we are. Right, let's start with bronze. As is traditional, in bronze place it's um, everyone's favourite, a bit buddish, at I'm Buddhish. Fair dues to Prof, but only fair to point out his beloved classical civilizations of Greece and Rome failed to make meaningful progress in technology, specifically because slavery was so ubiquitous they never needed to invent any kind of labour-saving devices. Just saying.
1: Yes,
6: I loved that tweet. I have had the honour and privilege of talking to Vince, um, a bit British his real name, recently, and he is painfully bright. He's a very, very smart man. Yeah. So, yes, and it's, a, it's an interesting point.
1: He was at our Brighton uh, meetup, and I've met him, and he's lovely. Royfield, did you absorb the contents of that tweet?
4: Interesting point, right? And that is the classical take on slavery in antiquity. However, slavery in ancient Greece and Rome was very different from the chattel slavery of, of the Americas, whereby it was totally. acceptable and normal for a slave in ancient Greece or Rome to be the accountant of the family and to be able to rise up in society. They still had the mark of being a slave. There was a physical mark on them and a societal mark, but in terms of their occupation, they could do just about anything. Whereas in chattel slavery, one of the reasons why chattel slavery could exist in the way that it did was because people uh, were of a different skin colour. Slaves in ancient Rome looked like regular Romans. One of the biggest drawbacks in the Brazilian economy in the 19th century was the amount of slaves it actually had, and it was exactly that reason why Brazil economically didn't progress, because there was no reason for a landowner to, let's say, install pipes and have plumbing when you'd have slaves that would go down to the river and then go da- and go and fetch a pail of water. However, that wasn't the case in ancient Greece and Rome. So that tweet is only partly true. There were enough centres of education, whether it's Alexandria, where you had academics and people of learning who were actually pushing the knowledge envelope so it's only partly true there you go but which very interesting. very
1: interesting nevertheless yes it triggered your response which was also very interesting
4: yeah it, it's definitely definitely partly true and many people look at ancient rome and how sophisticated it was and again plumbing and water supply is just one of them where you could take water from miles away into the city of Rome through these massive aqueducts. And they say, why did that uh, society technologically not advance? In, because in many ways it was the equivalent to let's say 15th century Europe, but it was a thousand years beforehand. Mm. And definitely the use of slaves is was, was part of that uh, reason why it didn't. Mm. However, the first steam devices were actually invented in Roman Egypt um, I forget the name of the inventor, and this is about three hundred AD. One of the reasons why the Roman Republic falls and Julius Caesar becomes the lead, the dictator of Rome, is because of this break on the economy. Because the the land owning classes, the Senate, um, do not give up their land. For, for the poor and, and and the dispossessed. And Caesar realises that the economy would be, would be much greater if small working-class landowners actually had land. So there was this whole thing around Roman society being top-heavy. But anyway, this is a podcast about
6: the arts.
1: What you're trying to say there, Royfield, if I can, in a mm. nutshell, is up yours, Vince.
6: It, Renowned stunts. <laughs> A bit British. It's definitely partly
1: true. Yeah. It's definitely partly true, but it's not the whole solution. That, there will never sense. be a time when a whole solution can be put into a tweet. He does follow up his uh, initial
6: tweet by by pointing out um, that he was talking more about big civic stuff rather than rimba's slow cookers and teas mates. So yeah, <laughs> he's also a funny man. Yeah, he is. So in silver position. And this one's a kind of a, a two parter, but it's uh, it's uh, um the, the silver position tweet is the response by Mr. Richard Beveridge at prop So Purple Pumpkin says, the Jim Lloyd fan club is having a recruitment drive this week. Who's in? <laughs> and Richard says, Gym membership is popular in January. Gym membership is for the whole year.
1: <laughs> well that done. It's very good. Yeah. And Richard is
6: Mark well
1: and he was a Writer in a last week about the copper pickers.
6: Yeah, um he's a very enthusiastic um tweeter doing all kinds of good stuff. Right, okay, so we've had we've had one which um got the Royfield uh, um history buff uh, approval mm-hmm. um of sorts. We've got one that made Kerry happy. Now it's bound to go down the toilet <laughs> in gold position, the swell of music, and loamlindy twelve at L-O-M-E-L-I-N-D-I-A one two says Next, Jim goes to the Senate, Senate to prosecute another lying, scum-sucking piece of shit.
4: Right. Okay, You're, you telegraphed our response to that tweet, Pete.
6: The thing is, is that maybe, maybe when I attacked um, Philippa and Quentin a couple of weeks ago, it's because you at least pick them up, you pat them down, you look after them in these moments, whereas you just leave me hanging.
1: I don't know. I think the run-up to that was quite tricky. And then you sort of sped through it. I don't know. It's the delivery. I'm um. sorry. <laughs> you are not very good
6: at this? Am I stuck with this?
4: Yeah. There, there is a certain level of comic value in the fact that you... are not very good at it. No, no, no. No, you landed two out of the three. It's just that you get your gold, silver, and that's blind. my normal, that's my normal, normal hit rate
6: in the wrong. Border. I know. I know to be fair, let's be positive glass half full. I normally get two out of three. It's just, it's just, you two. know, I, well, that's a glass is two thirds full then. So thank
4: you, you. Do, yeah. you know, your hit rate is 66.6%. <laughs> so. Exactly. Well, so yeah.
6: Okay. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Well, okay. There's, there's some, there's some feedback for me to use.
4: dot com folks. Oh, there's loads of things you've done. dot com now. And, uh, Tractor, 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 tractor. That's the big thing you can do on domdidom.com And I've got to big up the people on tractor who've been uploading images to their profiles because not enough of you bleeders are actually doing that. But some some of you have, and it's so nice to see your lovely, wonderful, shiny faces. Quite simply, and we've got this big ass map when you, when you go to domdidom.com and you hit the tractor link you will see there are pins all over the globe. There's quite a lot in Australia. There's a few in Japan. Even the United Arab Arab Emirates, put my teeth in, has a couple. And we celebrate that fact quite simply to join the map. Uh, Hit register. It's over there on the top right. Create your profile. Now, it's not just because you're going to be pinned to the map. But also means that you can talk to dumpty dummers, fans of the archers who are close by. Big up to everybody in Edinburgh and also in California. There are a lot of dumpty dummers in California. It's just a wonderful thing to behold. So if you're sat there at home thinking, how do I get part of this wonderful club, this wonderful community, quite simply go onto dumptydum.com, uh, register, create your profile, but you know what? Upload a pic. Now, to all you people who've been signing up in your droves, you had so many people, had somebody sign up from North Carolina today, somebody from Central uh, California just yesterday, go back onto your profile, hit edit and upload an image because it brings your profile to life. And also, if you're in continental Europe, uh, there's a little cluster of you over there in Holland. um, Actually, it's all wonderful to see. Talk to each other. But more to the point, if you're in continental Europe and you haven't signed up, go sign up. Please. And uh, we want to give props. We want to support our European brethren because we miss you. Since January the 1st, we've missed you, but we're not a million miles away. Brexit has not happened on Dum-de-Dum Non Tractor. You can still buy merch on Patreon. Help support the show by going on to patreon.com, giving us $2 per episode. You're going to have lots of uh, lots more content this month. There's going to be a Zoom on the 29th. Of January with Ben Norris. And also, I'm speaking to Charlotte Higgins, end of this week, who is the um, head of the art section of The Guardian, who wrote that wonderful long form article about the archers um just last month of which we were mentioned but a lot of other bits of archers fandom was as well so we're going to talk about the cultural impact of the archers so we're trying to give you loads of content show us your support by going on to patreon.com giving us two dollars per show
1: Uh, i'm in europe and i haven't signed up to tractor yet so (laughs) quentin keeps messaging me reminding me and i will do it very soon so remember to get in contact you can send us a voice message via speakpipe on the website or call 0203 031 3105 to leave a message or send a text message starting with dum to 077 86 200 690.
4: There's a uh, Paul Stedman Martin O'Brien who else is in Brighton mm. In Lewis, you've got County Squire, you've got Andy Hollier. There's somebody in Hove who's uh, there's, there's loads of people Ooh, good. that you should be uh, so you should be messaging. Anyway, uh, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. You know what Twitter is. Twitter is uh, the megaphone of, of of the people, and um, you can find. Kerry Warbis on, on Twitter. How do they find you exactly if they're on Twitter? Um,
1: Kerry? I am on Twitter as at Kerry Warbis, which is at K-E-R-I-W-A-R-B-I-S.
4: Pete Fickling, how can he be found? Exactly that, Pete Fickling. Smashing. And um, there I'm there, but whatevs. Uh, and then, of course, you can find us, dum-de-dum, collectively. And I have to say, special big ups to Ambridge Pony Club, to Purple Pumpkin... And to Pat Brown, who are going to be as of next week, basically manning the helm of the good ship Dum Dum on Twitter, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing on that thing. Can't spell, can't do anything, but they do know what they're doing. So thank you, uh, ladies, for uh, volunteering for that. Uh, there is also Facebook. Go onto Facebook. You type in Dum Dum. You get Dum Dum on Facebook, and you have lots of fun. And I'll tell you another thing: you get you get. Glynn full of love and his pictures because you know yours goes on these walks and uh, then he gives us a little bit of a talk while he's on a walk through his village and gives us his musing on the musings on the last week in ambridge you get the photographic evidence of Glynn on his walks if you type in dumpty dum on facebook big up to the flickat at posse film club we're gonna have another film club next month first sunday of every month is film club if you go on to youtube Type in Roy Field and then you'll see Film Club and you'll see it's lots of fun. It's only 30 minutes long and I do love a little bit of Film Club action. If you would like to join us on the Film Club, obviously you can do that by going on to the Flick app and signing up where we talk about what film we're going to watch. Or you can email me at royfield at gmail.com and we will facilitate you. We'll get you on Film Club. I don't know what piece of music we're going to play out to, so I'm going to put it to my two co-hosts. All right, podcasting husband, Pete Ficklin, uh, would you like to potentially uh, nominate a piece well, of music?
6: It's easy, isn't it? You you and Kerry were going on a massive rant about how much you love Kraftwerk earlier on. That was off mic. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, there you go, Kraftwerk, Lovely. Um, does the metronomic, um, repetitive grinding sound of craft work not speak to the relentless um, uh, invasion and torture of, you know, of Philip Moss on not only the slaves, but on you know the psyche of the listeners to the uh, the archers? I'm going to say no. However, yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> Kerry and I have been known to do online dating, have we not, Kerry?
11: Yeah,
1: not with each other.
4: The B-side to the model, that big hit, yeah. which was computer love, Okay. Would be utterly perfect. Lovely. So computer love it is. Nice. Which most people don't realise is actually a double A side with the model. Mm-hmm. But all the radio stations played the model so then they relegated it to being officially the B side. Lovely.
1: I've seen them live. Very good.
6: But I'm confused. So I got I got I got silence for irrelevance, and then that nonsense came out.
1: Well nonsense? Okay,
6: fine. Self-indulgent guff. What do you want? I mean,
4: I, I was that self-indulgent by me talking about the piece of music that we're playing out, giving it some context? <laughs> <laughs>